Coming up on today's show, last year was one of the biggest ever for home gardening. In this spring, lots of folks are already getting those plants in the ground. So if you're ready to basically source your inner green thumb, (laughs) the best way may not be, though, to dig down, but to actually build up by constructing a raised garden bed. We're going to talk to you about how to do just that. And you probably know improving the energy efficiency of your home means that you're going to spend a lot less money heating and cooling that house. But it's not always easy to know which improvements are going to give you the best return in your energy-saving investments. Well, a home energy audit can certainly help, so we're going to explain how in just a bit. And a new survey shows that one in four Americans purchasing a home are experiencing buyer's remorse. We're going to share some tips to help make sure the next home you purchase doesn't end up in disappointment. But first, we want to hear from you. We're standing by to answer your home improvement questions, gardening, real estate, how-to, DIY, decor, whatever it is you're working on or want to even think about tackling at your money pit, we can lend a hand. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974, or post your questions at moneypit.com. Maureen from Boston is on the line with a basement flooring question. How can we help you? Hi, my husband and I were just trying to find out if we were to try and lay a floor down over concrete. Would we be best to use a vinyl laminate or could we just use a wood laminate floor? Okay, so you have lots of options in basement floors today, especially. I mean, the one kind you might want to think about is engineered vinyl plank EVP because it's 100% waterproof and it looks great. You can go to LL Flooring. Dot com. That's all the LL flooring stores across the country uh, carry that product. I put down two of those this year, uh, one for a laundry room and one for a kitchen. And it was very okay. inexpensive and really a great product. Uh, if That's you want to cool. put hardwood down there, you, the only choice you have is engineered hardwood. You can't put regular okay. hardwood because it would swell and twist. Engineered uh, is done is, is basically structurally stable. It's kind of like plywood where there's different layers glued together. Mm-hmm. And that makes it dimensionally stable, so that's an option. Uh, and, I, and I believe you could also put a laminate floor down there. There's a product called Aqua Seal that's also made by LL Flooring that would be suitable for a space like that. You got tons of choices, which is just great because it used to be that you could only you know put in vinyl or vinyl. Right, exactly. I mean, you could also do tile. I don't know how warm or cozy or what you know look or feel you're going for the space, but there are so many tiles out there that have a wood look to them. They look like wood grain. There are a variety of sizes planks so you can really do something interesting as a tile i mean i think with the evps or the laminates or even the engineered you know there's well evps and laminates there's so many different looks to it so depending on what you want that space to look and feel like there's really a choice for it and then once you've got that flooring down you can add an area rug and know that you're controlling that moisture and keeping things you know nice and dry right perfect excellent thanks so much for your help you got it 
Richard in North Dakota is on the line with a septic situation. Sounds gross. Tell us what's going on. <laughs> hey, Not going to lie. Right around this time of year, probably through the end of May, the water table gets so high that the septic just constantly fills and my leach field doesn't drain. Oh, and um, I don't know what a good way to, I was thinking to put a backwater valve in, but I wouldn't know where to position it properly to where it would actually function. What do most folks do in that area? Because you can't be the only guy with that problem. It sounds very unique to that space. Talk to another neighbor, and we're the only two in the, in the area that this seems to happen. We're uh, we're both located about a quarter mile uh, west of a refinery, and all of the land around us is just farmland. So um, every year we just kind of deal with it. So when the water table is low, the septic field functions fine, but when it comes up that's when the trouble starts. Yes. It doesn't even sound like it was properly designed because this is not a new condition. You know, this would probably have always been that way. Is there another option on your property for the field that's at a higher elevation? No. And it's a a multi-level house. So there's a a, a bathroom, basement, or yeah, down, down in the basement, there's a bathroom. So every year what I do is I go stick a plug there's a floor drain in there, and then I stick a plug into the to the shower, and then uh, the toilet. I plug that up as well with a balloon, so then you just don't use the downstairs. It's inoperable. It will flood out if you take any of those out. Well, in most cases where you have a high water table that is impacting the septic system's ability to drain as designed you typically would install what's called a mound system. So a mound system is just that. Basically what it means is that the earth is mounded up, and it's done strategically. This is There's some engineering to this in terms of what the actual layers are that go into the mound itself. But the mounded system basically puts the leach field above the grade or higher up on the grave. I mean, it kind of looks like rolling fields when it's done, but it brings it up higher. Unfortunately, it's a pretty expensive system. But in your case, uh, you know, it sounds to me like you don't have a lot of options here. You can't continue to uh, use the home as you are now and, and plug in your basement so the whole bottom of the house doesn't fill with septic. I think a mounded system or another type of engineered system uh, will be your only option. Okay. I was thinking of something like that, but um, instead of just a mound, I was going to do like a four-foot retaining wall, basically like a swimming pool of dirt. You know, there are there are systems that are like that, and there are new systems coming on the market um, all the time that use sort of an, an, op- like an open or an aerobic treatment system that's, that's open. Those are used on waterfront areas and environmental-sensitive sens- um, areas as well. Um, but I mean, the nine out of ten times when you have a high water table, um, you're going to see a mounted system as the solution. All right. Well, thank you for confirming my worst fears. Well, yeah. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, that is the way to fix this once and for all. And, and look, you, you got to do it because it's going to help uh, improve your home's value. You know, you're going to be kind of stuck with that place if you've got a system that only works half of the year. Yeah, and then they, they really said the reason it was so cheap was because the refinery. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good luck. Donna in Washington, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? I live in an old, not as two-story cedar shingle house. And anyway, years ago, I used to be able to put Olympic stain on it, and I kept it uh, stained, but then they changed the law where I couldn't use stain anymore. So it was painted in the late, well, probably 99 
Well, now the paint started peeling, so I had one of my sons came and pressure washed it. This is about two years ago now, but he couldn't get all the paint off, and it's flaky in it because of the shingles and these little grooves. You can't get it all out, and I live in a two-tone house, a brown stain where the paint's peeling and the green where the paint's not peeling, and it looks terrible, and I've called, I've phoned two different contractors and gave them the address, and they must have just come by and looked at it, and they never even called back, let alone stopped by. Chased them off, huh? Yes, plus they have to have a special license because the house is so old, it has to be in this state anyway. Um, It it cost them thousands and thousands of dollars because in case there's lead outside in the paint, well, it was stained, not painted. So, you know, aside from all the drama associating with this, it's really quite a basic problem. When you have all of these layers of paint that are on the material over all of these years, at some point you're going to lose adhesion to the original substrate, which is the cedar. The only solution in that case is to remove the paint to get down to the originally natural wood. So pressure washing it is fine for the loose stuff, but beyond that, you've got to scrape and sand because you've got to get some of that natural wood to kind of show itself through the remaining stained areas that are painted because once it's ready, truly ready, where you've got all the loose stuff off and your surface has been abraded properly, then you can apply an oil-based primer. And the purpose of the primer is kind of a layer. It has different qualities than paint. Primer is the glue that makes the paint stick. And so if you use an oil-based primer on there, you'll get very good adhesion to the cedar. Once that thoroughly dries, then you can paint on top of that. And the top coat of paint uh, does not have to be oil-based. But the primer does. That's what's going to give the adhesion. But you can't just keep putting good paint over bad paint. Otherwise, the problem of peeling will just continue to repeat itself. Does that make sense, Donna? Okay. Thank you. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Well, last year was one of the biggest ever for home gardening, and this spring, a lot of you guys are already getting those plants in the ground. Well, if you're ready to find your inner green thumb, the best way may not be to dig down, but to build up by constructing a raised bed. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of benefits to gardening with a raised bed. So, for example, you can control the soil quality and you can make sure it drains super well. It's also a lot easier to access a raised garden bed. You don't have to bend down quite so much and the soil gets warmer sooner. And that means you can plant a little earlier as well. 
Yeah, and it's also one of the simplest projects that you can build. Now, a simple raised bed can be a mound of soil, or you can build a box using rot-resistant wood or composite materials. Now, the goal here is to create a deep, wide growing area that encourages plant roots to grow down and out. And it's smart to keep it no more than about four feet wide so that it's really easy to access all of the points in the flower bed, or the gardening bed, I should say. Yeah, and if you build a series of these beds, another thing that you might want to think about is irrigation because the raised soil can dry out a little more quickly than your regular dirt. So, for example, it might be as simple as running a soaker hose just under the surface of that soil and have that hooked up to a timer at the faucet. Now, I've got Doug in Virginia on the line with a siding question. How can we help you? Yes, I've got uh, my son's house has some vinyl siding on it, and uh, the folks that owned it before he did uh, we're patching something with some of the spray foam insulation, uh, the crack filler stuff, and it oozed out all over the siding. So I know I can go back and cut it loose, cut what's extra stuff, but when I get down close to the vinyl, what can I clean the residue off with to make it clean without damaging the vinyl? It's very difficult because you get those those um, foams are usually polyurethane and they have real adhesive qualities to it. Really, real adhesive. So um, what you can do is try to gently scrape it off with uh, a putty knife, but make sure you want use an older one is better because it won't be quite so sharp. And very carefully do that. And then I've all, I've stripped off uh, some some uh, foam errant foam with WD forty as the solvent. So you might want to try that with a Scotch pad because Scotch pad is not abrasive. But you could spray the siding with the WD-40 and then work the scotch pad back and forth. You may find that you uh, pull off some of that some of that residue. It really depends on, you know, what kind of foam it is. But you're right. Once it's dried, cut as much of it off and then try to abrade the rest of it off. But do so with a mind not to damage the siding. Okay. Well, I'll give it a try. WD-40. Yep. Try it. It's one of the thousand uses for that stuff. <laughs> you know, they say the only you only need two things in your toolkit, WD-40 <laughs> and duct tape. They're pretty close. Then I can go over the whole back of the house with WD-40 to, to revitalize well, I would, the vinyl. Well, if it's, if it's the whole back of the house, I mean, you're talking about spot cleaning, okay, but if it's the whole back of the house, then I, I think you've got a bigger problem. I think you're looking at new siding. But would I get an oily spot when I use the WD-40 that would look different than the you rest will. of it? You will, but soap and water will take it away. I guess that'll fade, yeah. That's why it's good for only, like, a little spot. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, Doug. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Susan in Texas is on the line with a water question. What's going on? My daughter has a country home she just purchased, and there's a 900-foot deep water well on it. And she wanted to know, does she need to use a water softener or a carbon filter for the drinking water? And also, how much electricity would that use, that water well? Well, the first thing she needs to do is to have a comprehensive water test done. Was that done? I believe so, because they had inspectors come out. But I don't remember what she said. Yeah, well, I wouldn't believe anything unless I had a result back from a, from a water testing laboratory. That's going to tell you what kind of treatment you need to do locally. So the first thing she needs to do is to get a water test done, a thorough water test done. That's going to check for uh, all sorts of contaminants and pesticides and that sort of thing. And then based on that, you can determine what you want to do to treat the water. But you just don't start treating it first. You start with the test, and the test is what determines what needs to be treated. Make sense? Yes, lots of sense, yes. All right. Good luck, Susan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. James in Delaware, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? The other day I was uh, sitting in my living room, and all of a sudden there this real loud, like whistle sound, 
came out of my uh, water heater, heater room. I opened it up. I just never heard this before. And it, it did this for a few minutes. And then it just stopped. You didn't see any water come out of the overflow, did you? No. No, that's what I can't figure out. How old is the water heater, James? About four or five years ago, I put in all electric. That was gas before. But all electric, I put a train heater in. And there's another brand that they put in with the water heater. And it seems like now I never haven't heard that since. Now, when I use the water, the faucet in the, in the, in the kitchen, but I, after I turn it off a couple of minutes later, I hear this noise, this, like, um, clicking noise or something or something into the, uh, uh, in the water heater. So that clicking noise is probably the pipes expanding and contracting as they heat up and cool down. That's And it tends to... Uh, amplify itself because of the nature of the copper pipes. But everything that you're telling me doesn't signal that that I'm I'm thinking you have any kind of problems. Sometimes the water expands and contracts, it will make some odd noises to it. Do I have to drain the heater at all? Do you have hard water there? Oh, yeah. So if you have hard water, sometimes you get mineral deposits along along the uh, bottom of the water heater. But that wouldn't really impact the electric water heater because the coils are up in the middle of the water. They're immersed right into the middle of the tank, so it's not going to make them less efficient. So you could, but I don't think it will have any effect. If you have a gas water heater, the heating element's at the bottom, and sometimes if you get mineral deposits that sit over the bottom of the water tank, it's kind of like an insulator, and it makes it harder to heat the water. But in the case of uh, electric water here, the the heating elements are embedded up in the water heater, usually a foot from the bottom and a foot down from the top. So that wouldn't affect it. Well, I thought, is, isn't there one in the top and the bottom? Yes, but it's it's immersed in the middle of the tank. It's like sticks through the tank kind of at a right angle. And there's one about a foot down from the top and one that's about a foot up from the bottom. So you're not going to have any settling of, of uh, mineral salt deposits on it. What's the life expectancy of one of these things? About 10 years. 10 to 12 years. 10 years, and that's it. I guess the elements go usually. Well, if the elements go, they can be replaced, but the tanks tend to leak after 10-plus years. Wow. Now, where should I keep an eye on? Where does it... Uh, they leak in the bottom? They just leak water all over the place? The best thing to do is if you're if you're going away, right, you should always turn off your main water valve and also turn off the water heater because it won't it won't waste a lot of electricity by heating up water in a house that you're not using. By the let me tell you something. I, I love you guys. You guys uh, uh, have a really very wholesome, you know, a great show because you know, there's a lot of talk shows on different things, but you guys help a lot of people. We try. Thank you so much, James. We really appreciate that. Good luck with the project, and thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, 
fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Well, most homeowners know the importance of improving the energy efficiency of their homes. However, when it comes to trying to decide which improvements will provide the most energy savings for their cost, it gets a lot harder to make a clear choice. That's right. But one smart way to make that decision is to get the help of an energy auditor. Energy efficiency professionals who use building science to gather the data needed to make an accurate assessment of the best ways to improve the efficiency of your home. Matthew Dean is an energy auditor with the Association for Energy Affordability. He's joining us now with more. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Hey, you know, I think homeowners really struggle making these decisions. And I think part of the problem is the noise that's out there from every window insulation or HVAC salesman promising that their products are going to actually save the homeowners money. Do you agree? Yes, I totally agree. We see that a lot in the industry that there are what we call BPI or building performance industry standard certified inspectors and crew workers and auditors. And we see others out there who put up an environmentally friendly green shingle and say that they do environmental work uh, in homes, but they're really not. They're not testing in. They're not testing out. They're making promises that don't come true. They're not making sure that health and safety is their number one priority. And a lot of times they do a disservice to the industry because people have that work done. And then the neighbor says, so how'd it go? And they say, oh, it didn't save me any money or it led to a mold and mildew problem in my home. And that's not what we're looking to do. I once had a uh, window manufacturer local manufacturer uh, who wanted us to record a commercial for this particular company. Uh, and the commercial said that they would save you 50% on your energy bills. And I said to the salesman who asked me, I said, if you had no windows and now you have windows, maybe. But other than that, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> no, and you're right. You know, and most people don't, don't know that. But yeah, when you look at the total surface area of a building, the windows right. typically only make up 10 or 15%. And even if they're leaky, a lot of times it's not that the window itself, there's something wrong with it. It's the install that's wrong. And if you simply remove the trim and air sealed around that trim and put it back on, your window would, would work a lot better. So now you're talking about, you know, really getting into the nitty gritty of how that window is installed. But 
What do you think a homeowner is going to feel comfortable with when they sort of start to do this investigation? Should they jump into something like that, or are there more simple places for them to look at? So there are simpler ways to reduce your energy bills, and some of those start with looking to install a programmable or smart thermostat. Um, As long as you know how to use a screwdriver and you know someone who's not colorblind and can match up the wires correctly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Right? Blue to blue, white to white, and so on, yep. Exactly. You can easily switch that out, and that can save a whole lot of money uh, for a homeowner. Um, Hot water temperature is another one. A lot of times the hot water tanks are just thrown all the way up on high because the contractor doesn't want to have to come back because maybe there's a complaint that it's too cold. But a lot of times that's 170-degree water. Jeez, that's high. Yeah, and anything over 120 can lead to third-degree burns. So we recommend the water temperature be at 120. So you can turn that down, and right there there's a few hundred dollars in savings. Combined with the thermostat, a couple hundred Door sweeps and weather stripping on exterior doors can cut down on drafts. Uh, Using caulking or spray foam around windows and doors or uh, penetrations you might see on the exterior of the home can cut down on drafts. All those types of things are things that homeowners can do in a weekend, really, and by themselves make their home less expensive to operate and uh, more comfortable. So, Matthew, let's talk about the energy auditor process. If you are hired by a homeowner, or I know sometimes utility companies do this, you know, the goal here is to try to stop guessing as to which of those improvements is going to make the most sense and to put some building expertise and building science and data behind it. Can you explain that process for our listeners and what happens at the end, what the report shows, and does it give them that sort of blueprint to the ultimate goal of energy efficient housing? Sure. So the process is that the uh, auditor or assessor would talk with the homeowner over the phone and get some general information, uh, maybe access to their uh, utility bills, uh, size of the home, uh, how many people live in the home, where the home is located, obviously, uh, and why they're calling, like what in particular motivated them to call. Is it a comfort issue? Is it a money issue? Is it one particular room? And then when the auditor or assessor goes out to do the inspection, typically they do an exterior inspection where they look at, uh, they look at the gutters to make sure that they're not clogged up. Uh, they look at the color of the roof, the material that the exterior of the building is made out of, the condition of the windows. They look for uh, moisture issues. Uh, the orientation of the home, they make sure there's a chimney cap. They go around the entire building. Then they go inside and do an interior inspection where they do an appliance survey and a lighting survey, and they take measurements of the interior of the building to get the square footage and the volume. They look at the windows. Then they do a combustion safety test on the heating system and the hot water system to make sure that they're drafting properly and that there are no health and safety issues, and they also get the efficiencies of those systems. Then they take a look at the blower door number. The blower door number is gotten by using a large fan that they temporarily install an exterior doorway. And based on the size of the building, they can tell how many cubic feet per minute of air should be rushing through the building. Anything over that represents air leaks. So they'll do that test and figure out if the building is either too leaky or sometimes the buildings are too tight and might need a mechanical ventilation system. Then they take all that information back, run it through a report, and uh, generate uh, recommendations on what can be done to reduce their bills and make the home more comfortable. 
And does it sort of prioritize the projects? Does it say, like, this one's going to be the biggest bang for your buck? Yep. So they do cost savings calculations for every recommendation. They do a simple payback. Uh, they do a rate of return, and then they do one called a savings-to-investment ratio, which basically tells you how many times you'll make your money back. And the industry standard is that you can't really make a recommendation to someone unless it saves them money within the lifetime of the measure, which is generally somewhere around 10 or 20 years. So we like to see savings-to-investment ratios for recommendations that are at least one, but I think more like two or three is better, you know, so you make your money back in, say, five to ten years. And, you know, there are some that have better paybacks than others. Insulation and air sealing, huge paybacks. They don't cost much to install, and they have a huge payback on their savings. Windows, like you were saying before, very low, very expensive, and they don't really save any money. We're talking to Matthew Dean. He is not only an energy auditor, he's a trainer of energy auditors. He's with the Association for Energy Affordability in Bronx, New York. So, Matthew, you know, what you're describing is similar to what I did for a long time as a professional home inspector. But, of course, we didn't focus just on the energy issues. We focused on a lot of the other mechanical and structural issues. But one thing about home inspectors is that they don't have a conflict of interest because they're not allowed by law in some places to work on the homes that they inspect. Is that the same thing in the energy auditing business? Or are are consumers at risk of folks saying, well, you know, you need new insulation, but I'm just the guy to put it in for you and have that built-in conflict? When you're working with a BPI certified contractor, which any program through either the Department of Energy or, say, through a state weatherization program or utility program usually works with because the BPI sort of sets the industry standard for how this efficiency work should be done, they have a principle called test in and test out. They also have a principle called quality control. And so where I work and with all the partners I work with, the person who does the original assessment, the quality control inspection that is done is done by someone different. Additionally, on top of that, the programs that we're working in will send randomly inspectors out to QCI jobs, like say 10% of the jobs that you do, to make sure that you did what you said you were going to do. Additionally, if a homeowner had a problem with it, they could call BPI and say, so-and-so said this was going to happen, it didn't happen. And Just one more point, most of the softwares that we work with, when they do their paybacks, like I said before, it has to be higher than one, that SIR, that keeps everyone's prices in line. Right? If you go to a different contractor, because we all have to make recommendations that save the homeowner money, you can't really overcharge someone because then the SIR falls below one, and then the software usually doesn't allow you to make that recommendation. That's very interesting. So the answer is, yeah, you could be working with uh, a company that does both the auditing and the work, but there are built-in safeguards, and, and I like what you're, what you're saying. Matthew Dean, thank you so much. Very fascinating. Uh, I actually knew a little bit about energy auditors, and now I feel like I'm much better informed as are our listeners. Matthew Dean is with the Association for Energy Affordability uh, in New York. If you'd like to learn more about their organization, you can go to A. EA.us.org. That's AEA.us.org. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. 
Well, the real estate market has been pretty hot ever since the pandemic hit, especially in areas where families are leaving those more urban areas. But when the market gets busy, more and more buyers start to regret their purchase. And in fact, a new survey by Fly Homes shows that one in four American home buyers have experienced buyer's remorse, which is a terrible thing after spending all that money. So if you're in the market now, we've got a few tips to help you avoid regretting your purchases. Yeah, and that is a huge purchase to feel pretty badly about. So here's some things you need to do. First of all, you've got to prepare yourself to spend more than you expect. Now, among first-time home buyers, 40% are saying that they spent more than they expected to when buying the home. And nationwide, homes are going for about 20% or more over the listing price. I mean, that's a lot of money. Now, don't even waste your time looking at properties that are going to end up going for way more than you've budgeted for and figure out what you can afford and then search well below your max so that you can feel comfortable about bidding and end up somewhere where you know you can afford to spend. Now, next, you want to get pre-qualified for a mortgage. This way, you're going to have all the loan process completed up front, and you're going to know exactly what your budget is. Plus, this really does help your buying power because home buyers know that you can afford the home before you agree to that price. Now, this is something that, based on my 20 years' experience as a professional home inspector, scares the heck out of me. People are buying homes now sight unseen. It might sound obvious, but Buyers are so desperate, they're doing what they call Zillow surfing, and they're buying homes without even visiting them. And worse, they're negotiating away the right to have those home inspections, which is a perfect formula if you really do want to buy a real-life money pit and become a lifelong listener to our program. We would love to have you do that, but not because your house is a real money pit, just because you want to improve a good house. So remember, buying a home usually starts with a wish list, You know, items like a garden, south-facing yard, plenty of storage, big bathtub, whatever it is. In reality, more often than not, people have to make some compromises. So be prepared for that upfront, and you will be a lot happier in the long run. Nick's got a question about a basement that's kind of coming apart. So Nick writes, I live in a 1907 home, and I'm trying to improve the walls in the unfinished basement. The basement gets a little damp at times, but there are areas where the mortar around the brick is crumbling away. How can I fix this? Well, in a house that's that old, Nick, the mortar is going to deteriorate from time to time. If it gets powdery, what you want to do is repoint it. You're going to mix up some mortar mix, and if you put a little extra lime in that, it will actually get stickier, and that makes it easier for you to work with it on those vertical walls. You'll need a tool called a pointing tool, which is the tiniest trowel you'll ever see, but it's actually a pretty straightforward job. I would just work it one section at a time. Don't sweep away all the old stuff and then put in the new stuff. Do it one section at a time, because I wouldn't want to see you leave a lot of open mortar joints and then get a big rainstorm and have something collapse in on you. That'd be bad. <laughs> that would be super bad. Like way worse than what's already going on next. So <laughs> definitely tackle this project and you'll see a beautiful new improved space. Well, April is National Safe Digging Month. Leslie, I expect the Hallmark card. I'm just saying it right now, okay? <laughs> but actually, it's a good time to remind motivated DIYers like you to call 811 before picking up a shovel. Leslie explains why in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Yeah, you know, you might think that planting a tree or a shrub 
building a fence, even installing a post for a mailbox should be pretty minor digging projects. But if you have the misfortune of hitting an underground utility line, that simple project suddenly can get a lot more complicated. That's why it's really important that you call 811 before you dig. Now, 811 is a federally mandated phone number that's designated by the FCC to consolidate all local call-before-you-dig numbers. Now, there are millions of miles of buried utilities beneath the surface of the earth that are vital to everyday living. I mean, think about it. Water, electricity, natural gas. All of it helps homeowners and professionals avoid damaging these vital utility lines. So the call before you dig service, it's free. Make sure you use it. You want to make the call a few days before you're planning on digging that project. Tell the operator where you're planning to dig, and then your local utility company is going to be notified about your intent to dig, and they're going to send text to your dig site and then mark that location of where those buried lines are with flags or paint. And again, there is no cost here, so it's not going to cost you a penny. But let me tell you, should you cause some major disruption or hit something, that is going to cost you a lot of money. So this is a big money time-saving thing. Call 811. I mean, whether you're planning a new deck, installing a fence post, whatever it is, just call before you dig so that you can stay safe. You know, last fall we were putting in some new landscaping and I knew that we would be digging in the area where the gas line came into the house because you could see the gas meter and you can see the street and, you know, connect the dots. So I did call 811 and actually it was a very, very simple service. It was a very simple thing to do, I should say. You know, I called, the operator asked me all the information and within just a few days, uh, somebody showed up and they determined whether or not, you know, I needed to talk to the gas company, the electric company, the water company, but they did all that. I didn't have to make multiple phone calls. It just happened. And one day I looked out uh, my window a few days later and there was these nice little flags all along where the gas line was. And so I knew to steer clear. So it's definitely something that you should do because you're right. If you don't do that and you cause some damage, there's some pretty serious consequences. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. You know, coming up next time in the program, nothing signals the start of spring better than some fresh blooms like daffodils and tulips. But if you want to do that, you better get those bulbs planted now. We'll tell you what you need to know on the next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.